0: Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Livestream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today.
1: Hey, Grandmaster Picel.. Yeah. Can you tell us the warning about Binge Mode's adult content?
0: Well, the think about, about Binge Mode is, uh, Binge Mode contains <laughs> adult situations and intense
1: violence and sex. <sighs> Never mind. Here's Binge Mode. When my dragons are grown, we will take back what was stolen from me and destroy those who have wronged me. We will lay waste to armies and burn cities to the ground. Turn us away and we will burn you first. And welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, Deputy Editor of TheRinger.com. And joining me today, now that he's brought a darling little smoke baby right into this world, <laughs> it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Jason? <laughs> You've brought life into this world. It is Look beautiful. upon my
0: baby and despair. He is young. He is smoky.
1: Jason, (laughs) Binge Mode did not become the greatest podcast that ever was or will be by letting Dothraki savages through its gates. We did it by vowing to rewatch all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. Deep dive in one at a time. Spoiler warning, as usual, guys, we will be going deep on details from the show and the books this season and beyond. It's time to break down season two, episode four. Garden of Bones. Okay, Jason, the king can do as he likes, yeah. but too much pain can spoil the, spoil pleasure. the pleasure. So let's quickly, ah, yeah. <laughs> quickly put the brakes on the boo-boos, take a trip down our very own King's Road, offer a quick refresher on the yes. key figures and events from this fourth installment. Take it away.
0: In the Westerlands, Robb Stark stays winning. Yeah, he does. His northern army smashes yet another Lannister force at the Battle of Oxcross. Surveying the carnage the next morning, who does he see but a comely young nurse named Talisa from
1: far away? Just sawing off those feet. You gotta do it, you gotta do it. In King's Landing, meanwhile, Joffrey, angered by the tidings from Oxcross, has Sansa, his betrothed, beaten in the throne room as various lords and ladies stand by (gasps) watching. Tyrion arrives thankfully and puts a stop to it. Tyrion also sends Roz and Daisy over to Joff. Little apology, little little peace offering, little attempt to sort of smooth the choppy waters. Uh, Joffrey reacts as any totally Hada! insane, spoiled fruit of incest would. Yes. Points a crossbow at these poor women and instructs Roz to beat Daisy. Yes, a deeply distressing scene. Yes, Tyrion thankfully has other things to focus on besides Joffrey. He's got Lancel. He's got another Whoa. another okay. blonde-haired fool turning Lancel into an informer after revealing that he knows Lancel and Cersei are getting it on. Out in Carth,
0: where things suck, <laughs> Danny's starving band of Dothraki make contact with the city and the Thirteen, the ruling oligarchs therein. After a little bit of debate, they allow her and her group of ragged Dothraki to enter the city.
1: Over in Harrenhall. Here we are, mm-hmm. Harrenhall at long last. Arya and her fellow would be Night's Watch recruits arrive at Lord Tywin's headquarters, and a gathering point for prisoners of war, the Lannisters, the mountain, Sir Gregor, here he is again, systematically torturing prisoners for information. This is where Arya really begins her commitment to the list, reciting her kill list every night. Tywin arrives, looks resplendent in his armor on horseback as usual, and he has a question about practicality of what's going on here. Why are his men torturing these prisoners to death in a very disturbing method, by the way? Heating up a rat in a bucket until it gnaws through your insides is pretty gross. Yeah. Why not see if these people have useful skills and put them to work? He puts Gendry to work right away as a smith, and he notes that Arya might have something to offer as his cupbearer. Right.
0: Over in the Stormlands by Storm's End, Littlefinger arrives at Renly's camp. He's talking about offers and double deals and deals under the table. He tries unsuccessfully to intimidate Queen Marjorie, who takes his measure and finds him wanting. Cat castigates Littlefinger for betraying Ned. Uh, he takes this as an opening mm, to yeah. kind of make a move on her. Yeah. Shocking uh, lack of awareness. Not great the, at reading the room, buddy. From the, from the tiny finger. Uh, she rebuffs him. And then he turns dark. He knows of her love for her children. So he floats the idea of a trade, Sansia and Arya, who the Lannisters do not have, for Jamie. And then he hammers home the point by delivering Ned Stark's bones in a box. Stannis arrives at the camp to treat with Renly. He offers Renly a deal. Strike your banners kneel before me or be destroyed. <laughs> Renly, pretty confident in his 100,000-man army, rightfully declines. Stannis then orders Sir Davos to smuggle Melisandre heavy with Smoke Baby to a secret cove under Storm's end where she promptly goes into labor and squirts out the inky black wisp that we know as Stannis Jr.
1: Little Stanny. Stanny, Hi, Stanny. What a cutie pie. Yeah. Not every baby looks cute right away, but <laughs> little Stanny. Little Stanny really did. All right, Jason. Uh, Where we come from, yeah. guests are treated with respect, not That's insulted right. at the gate. That includes smoke babies. We everyone. welcome everyone here, everyone here, whisper otherwise. So let's respect the knowledge seekers out there. Let's cut right to the core of this episode's big idea by sticking it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is drumroll. The cost of war. Wars are fought to gain something. That's kind of the point. But they bring widespread loss. And our heroes and our villains start to really feel those losses in this episode in Garden of Bones. And let's start with Rob because he is literally looking at the loss that war brings. And and credit to Rob for
0: really... uh, trying to understand what his men are going through. The day after the Battle of Oxcross, you know he's looking at these bodies strewn across the fields, and he's strolling with Roose Bolton, who says, five Lannister dead for every one of ours. <laughs> uh, you know, to Roose and, and the more seasoned captains and, and bannermen, it's a numbers game. Who's got the bigger army? Who's losing men? Who are we killing? Whose peasants are we killing? Um, But as Littlefinger will later say to Marjorie, if war were arithmetic, the mathematicians would rule. So there's always a cost. There's a cost to your conscience. If you want an edge, what will you do to gain that edge? Winning wars requires gaining information, you know, and Roos as his family has been doing for generations upon generations upon generations, wants to torture prisoners, wants to flay their skin off of them in order to gain information. In my family, we say a naked man has few secrets, the flayed man none. (laughs) And of course, Rob won't have, I won't torture. He doesn't believe in it. Um, He doesn't want to give Cersei a reason to hurt his sisters, whereas Immediate says the high road's very pretty, but you'll have a hard time marching your own army down it.
1: What a font of wisdom!
0: Um, you know, but one does wonder if there were not a middle way um, between flaying and not flaying. But you know, that's that's what Rob is choosing to do, and more power to him. There's a cost also to your local apothecary. Rob meets Talisa, falls. Head over tea kettle in love from about 10 feet away as he watches her saw off a leg with the meat saw. We've all been there. I love that. I just love the way he looks at her as he's holding, lay down. It'll save your life. (laughs) And he just looks at her like, my God, I've never seen a woman saw a leg like this before.
1: He's smitten. Instantly you know. smitten.
0: And of course, you know, she has a completely different perspective as a caregiver. Right. She's telling him about, you know, the cost of lives, that you are the reason this boy does not have a foot anymore. You know, what is that? There's nothing you can say. There's no ju- amount of justice behind your cause that will, ha- you know, uh, allow this this boy to have his foot again or allow these you know, men to live again. But that's what war is. Right. You know, that's that's the responsibility you bear when you order people to go out and fight for you. Um, soldiers are the bed of weeds that Cersei was talking about that you have to rip out right. one by one.
1: Very um, different perspective there. Talisa's sort of playing the always the innocent are yes. the first victims friends card from the Forbidden Forest and Cersei's just like please clear out the, the innocents yeah, as quickly as you can yeah, so I can just, achieve my goal.
0: Yeah, let's just clear out the wheat, the chaff and everything else. Um, and there's that really telling moment where Talisa's like, so what are your plans? Right. You know, Reasonable you, 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 question. You know, when, when you win Or do you want to kill Joffrey? Gods give me strength. Mm -hmm. And then what? Right. And he's like, I love that he says, I don't know.
1: (laughs) He's honest. (laughs) He's honest. We got to give him that. Worth coming.
0: So she says, you know, you're fighting to overthrow a king, and yet you have no plans for what comes after. Um, Sometimes you have to pay and suffer the cost of war before the final bill comes, and then that's even before you decide what you're doing. And then we've seen, you know, in the world of Game of Thrones, really, a lot of times the war is the hard the easiest part right so it's building the peace is the hard part
1: it's a it's a fascinating contrast to what's happening with Renly and Stannis because Rob is really Rob is suffering these costs for the sake of his family right he's driven into action by what happened to his father and now even though he's the first to always say can't do it just for the girls can't trade the king's for the girls also for her sisters right? right to some extent meanwhile Renly and Stannis are willing to sacrifice their family, sacrifice their brotherly bond such that it is, which is right. not much, for the sake of their own pursuits, right? So family for them really is the cost. And it's it's this, one of the really overt visual representations of this is the, yeah. the banners. Like, Stannis has to change his banner yeah. because, boy, wouldn't it be confusing <laughs> if both sides of the battle were flying the same Baratheon <laughs> 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 Mocking Renly is really great. I <laughs> yeah, wish we had gotten a little more time with that because yeah, he's, he's uh, fantastic. He's he's got some zingers. But you know, Kat, who is there for this meeting, she's really trying to to appeal to this idea of brotherly affection that just doesn't exist. You know, she's right. saying she's reminding them, "You guys are brothers." Yeah. Stannis, of course, is like. Boy, it's weird to see you here right. over there with that asshole. You know, because he's right. like, Ned supported my claim. Right. Why are you over there with Renly? And then, of course, he he can't help himself. He has to go to his talking points. He's like kind of like the politician and reciting right. his stump speech everywhere right. he goes. It's a very simple stump speech. The Iron Throne is mine. That's it. By right. All those who deny that are my foes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, but Renly, ready with the comeback, right? He says the whole realm denies yeah. it from Dorne to the Wall. Old men deny it with their death rattle and unborn children deny it in their mother's wombs. Not little Stanny. Not little Stanny. No one wants you for their king. That's the end of the zinger. The next line is the most important, though. You never wanted any friends, brother, but a man without friends is a man without power one of the many interpretations we'll hear throughout the show about what power is, but it's particularly notable in this case that Renly is basically saying it's about the relationships when the whole thing that they're both doing is sacrificing those relationships, right? They No one really, even the best planners, no one really can see beyond the thing that's right in front of them. Like maybe except Tyrion and a few other chosen few. Certainly not Renly, certainly not Stannis. They're reacting on impulse. They're reacting because they both think they deserve something, and that's basically right. more important than anything else. They're kind of being like petulant children, as Kat says, right? And, you know, family, it's this—it's the theme throughout this entire exchange. You know, Stannis even does bring it up. He says for the sake of their mother, right. he'll give Renly <laughs> one night, right? One right. night to change his mind, to back off, and then he'll even give him a council seat and name him his heir. But he can't be sweet for more than like 0.2 seconds. Until the son is born? Otherwise, I shall destroy you. It's like, well, that's not like a super welcoming yeah, offer. Not um, you know, it's like, come to my barbecue. But if you like don't bring the beer I like or you forget to clear your plate, I will destroy you. And they're not just fighting each other. Right. They're fighting their history. They're fighting the power of their name. They're tearing their own bannermen apart, apart, the Stormlords instead of just doing the logical thing and aligning against Joffrey. So in pursuit of their war, the cost is actually the thing that they want because they can't just get over it basically and join forces.
0: Renly appears to be in the driver's seat at this time. He's got the powerful wife that gains him an alliance with essentially the breadbasket of Westeros. Stannis is... is the the costs go a lot deeper than even they appear. He's had to turn his back on his religion, mm-hmm. which is um, something that a lot of people will immediately see as something suspicious and distrustful. He's had to turn his back on his family, as you said, and he'll say to Davos on his ship, you know, you were a, you're a hero and a smuggler. The good act does not wash out the bad, nor the bad the good. But when Davos cautions him against relying too much on Melisandra, saying there are cleaner ways to win, Stannis says cleaner ways don't win wars. Um, so I, you know, this is the hypocrisy at the totally. at the at the heart of of Stannis. Davos, meanwhile, is getting an earful from from Melisandre. Are you a good man, Sir Davos? <laughs> I'd say my parts are mixed, my lady, good and bad. If half an onion is black with rot, it's a rotten onion. A man is good or he is evil, and it's this kind of black or white idea that Stannis and Melisandra share that weirdly kind of closes them off from the other opportunities there are. Davos is trying to hold on to his his sense of reason and logic. You know, he says, strange this Lord of Light you ask asks you to work in the shadows. And Mel answers, Shadows cannot live in the dark, said Davos. They are servants of the light, the children of fire. And the brighter the flame, the darker they are and then she, you know, disrobes and Pushes a baby of smoke out of her machine. Yeah, she does. Yeah, um, she does. Blowing Davos's mind. Poor guy.
1: You're, you're right. Like the the sacrifices that Stannis is making are are subtler in a lot of ways than the really clear. Here's a body count. Here I'm willing to say I I, I don't want you as my brother. I don't want you as king. He's basically the cost for him is his principles. You know, and he's caught in this position where he's still espousing this sort of rigid like honor first mentality but also doing things that Mm. directly contradict his purported position which is an interesting (laughs) place to be and you know the other person who's kind of caught up in this situation over over at at Storm's End right now is Littlefinger and boy boy does Renly hate Littlefinger right he's got Uh, this why not Tell you know? me, was my brother's body even cold before? The answer is you no, by the way. Yeah. No. But also like so then Littlefinger's just playing the game like the rest of them, right. right? Renly was making moves before Robert died. Yeah. Why is that okay for Renly but not for Littlefinger?
0: Well, I would I would only retort that Renly made a deal with one person, whereas Littlefinger makes a deal with everybody. True.
1: Maybe that's why Littlefinger is alive and (laughs) Renly isn't, for what that's worth. But, you know, this is one of the costs of war as well. It's being forced to find common ground with people you despise. Like, Renly does not want... Make peace with their enemies. Exactly. That's why it's called making peace. Look at this. It's all coming together. You know, Renly doesn't want to be having this conversation with Littlefinger. He certainly doesn't want to be coming to terms with him. But when Littlefinger says to him, when you march on King's Landing, you may find yourself facing a protracted siege or open gates, that's a hard thing hand wave, that's a pretty appealing offer. And, you know, another cost, as Littlefinger finds out firsthand in this episode, is your dignity. Because when Littlefinger's poking fun at Marjorie, you know, bringing up Loris entering right. Renly's tent, Strange goes, that, Strange that no child has been <laughs> created yet. Uh, one wonders why. Yeah, he's the, the subtlety in his insults is is really... Uh, A <laughs> lot, of, lot of subtweets. A <laughs> lot of subtweets from Littlefinger. Yeah. And she just goes right for the jugular. Yeah. Like, no need to be subtle there. She right, just right. says, you've never married, have you? And he yeah. says, I've been unlucky in my affections, sadly. And she fires back, that is sad, though perhaps it's for the best. The whole notion of marriage seems to confuse you my husband is my king and my king is my husband he tried yeah. to shame her and she just completely turned the tables and yeah. shamed him spectacularly and then he also has to go talk to Kat yeah. <laughs> and get shamed <laughs> again he he finds that one of the costs of war is basically a lifelong friendship or lifelong affection. Oh. Like Kat literally cannot stomach his presence because he betrayed Ned, right? Yeah. She is visibly revolted and he says, I loved you since I was a boy. This it move. seems to me that fate has given us this chance. Truly Paul What like what's his go to on <laughs> Tinder or right, yeah. Hinged? Like
0: he, he hits up a uh, recent widower's <laughs>
1: really knows his brand. So, I can't help but notice that... You need someone to warm your bed at (laughs) night. Now it's my fault that your husband's dead, but yeah, not the best move. He then somehow sinks even lower by bringing up her daughters. This is... Really, a despicable series of events for Littlefinger. And yet, you know, again, he's in a better position than a lot of these people are. And so that is telling in terms of what you have to do, what costs are worth suffering to advance your cause. Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones. Today. And now back to binge mode. Uh, Danny is having to
0: simultaneously get in touch with some uh, sense of humility and also act as the sovereign, the, uh, the Targaryen ruler for her supporters who draw their strength from her. You know, her choices in Karth are basically sell yourself again right. um, and the dragons. Uh, to the Spice King, who's yeah, the Spice King, freaking Spice King, man. Uh, you know, or or wither away in the red waste and watch your watch your supporters die alongside her. Her people are dying. The greatest triumph that has been accomplished in hundreds of years—the hatching of dragons—something that has been that people have been trying to do for a very long time and failing spectacularly. Um, she has done, and meanwhile. She's been reduced to essentially a beggar, right? Just the way that she was when when her and her brother were children. At the same time, she's she's got to be strong for them. You know, like she's got to it threaten, must be their strength. She's got to try and threaten her way into Carth. When my dragons are grown, we will take back what was stolen from me and destroy those who have wronged me. We will lay waste to armies and burn cities to the ground. Turn us away, and we will burn you first. I and love the that. I love the love Spice King line. going oh. You are a Targaryen. Yeah. She has to say stuff like that at the same time it's very difficult for her because she recognizes that she can't back this up. Danny doesn't want to have Zaro Zoandaxos. Invoke Sumai to vouch for her, but she has no choice. Right. This is what she's been reduced to.
1: It's a tough thing for somebody who came to power by yeah. basically saying, I don't need my brother. Like, I don't need a man. Right. And then had to embrace that even more fully than she ever would have wanted yes. to when she lost her husband to then be back in this position of saying, All right, this bro is going to let me in, so I'm okay now. Right. Like, that sucks. <laughs> right. That's shitty. That's not where she wants to be. Sansa, mm. she isn't fighting this war on the battlefields, but the war is still costing her dearly. It is costing her her dignity. It yep. is costing her her freedom, her sense of self. Her scenes in this episode are among the most yeah, agonizing to watch in the entire appalling, series. Appalling. It's horrible. Joffrey is brutalizing her. He's doing it in public. He's pointing his crossbow at her. Yeah. He's having that fucking sack of human garbage, <sighs> Maren Trant, Let disrobe her, face. her. I like her pretty. What a monster. And then when Tyrion enters and he says to, to Joffrey, she she's to be her queen, have you no regard for her honor. We, I think, watch that initially and think, how is Joffrey responding to it? It's one more thing for him to hold against Tyrion. But how does Sansa feel hearing yeah. that? Like, her honor is in the hands of this vile creature? That's That's terrible. That's literally somebody who is finally trying to gain agency, realizing and being reminded in a very painful vulnerable way that she has none in this moment yeah. and yet she is subtly trying to spin that idea on its head because when Tyrion asks her if she wants out he's giving her this chance to speak up and say get me out of here she's parroting the lines again I'm loyal to Joffrey my one true love and Tyrion because he is smarter than anyone else He recognizes what she's doing. He says, Lady Stark, you may survive us yet, right? He's impressed with how she's trying to play the game, trying to hold on to that last shred of agency that exists. She has to, though. She doesn't have a choice. She's not doing it to try to gain power or advance like these other people are. She's doing it to stay alive. And that's a pretty different calculus than these other people are dealing with.
0: In Westeros, it's the common people, the working people, who bear the brunt of, of warfare, as it has always been. And that brings us to Roz and Daisy, who bear a unpayable cost. Daisy pays with her life, and Roz has to live with the fact that she killed her friend-slash-colleague. Their collateral damage in Joffrey's cold war against his own brother. Roz says, if your uncle finds out, which is exactly what Joffrey wants, right. he, he is not a subtle person— you know, oh, I want him to find out. Um, you will bring her to his chambers when you're finished and show him what you've done. Now, the same thing will happen to you. Begin. You know, this is what he wants. He it's likes a game to. to him. Yeah, he likes to cause pain to other people.
1: Aria, for what it's worth, will also come to like causing pain to other yes. people, but for slightly nobler reasons, slightly purer reasons, if such a thing can be said. And. When they arrive at Harrenhal, they're literally walking up to the gates of a place where the identifiable smell is death. What is that smell? Corpses. The costs of this war are so high that Arya's list is growing by the day. You know, the mountain and his minions are torturing the villagers, the heated up rat buckets to try to learn about the Brotherhood's whereabouts. We're hearing these whispers. the the brotherhood? Brotherhood? The Brotherhood. The Brotherhood will be in our lives in a meaningful way soon. And then... The last cost. We could talk about cost forever, but the last cost. Hot Pie's pants, because he pissed in them. Well, he's
0: he's only seen one battle in his life. He's never seen anything quite like this.
1: True, true. If they're wearing armor, it's a battle. Don't forget. Don't forget. All right, Jason. The naked man has few secrets, as Roos told us. The flayed man, none. And we're really lucky that the Mountain and the Tickler haven't figured out how to flay yet, because... They're already pretty monstrous. Viewers presumably had the same odd reaction that Gendry and Hot Pie did when they first Mm. laid eyes on Harrenhal, this theater for torture, this melted palace. Bad things were happening at this place long before Sir Gregor set foot on the blood-soaked earth. So let's give everyone a full appreciation for the history of this place. Let's assemble the conclave, head to the citadel, Learn everything we need to know about the curse of Harrenhal.
0: In the decades preceding Aegon's conquest of Westeros, there was no king more feared than King Harren the Black of House hor H-O-A-R-E, sure. House Hore, the ironborn despot of the Riverlands and the Iron Islands. Harrenhal, the castle he built and the largest castle in Westeros, is a malignant embodiment of the foul deeds perpetrated by its creator. The centuries leading up to the reign of King Heron was a time of really total defeat and subjugation for the native river lords. First, it was the Durand and Storm kings of the Stormlands, the people who ruled the Stormlands before the Baratheons. They conquered the Riverlands, picking off one royal house after another over a span of a couple hundred years. Then the Ironborn came in. King Harwin, hard hand whore, Heron's grandfather broke the Storm King's hold over an area.
1: Hard hand whore. Hard hand whore. hand whore. Hard hand whore. Hard
0: hand was the nickname. That's the sobriquet.
1: Hada, Hada.
0: He came in and he conquered an area around the Trident up to the neck. The Riverlords, sensing an opportunity as a change in management was was taking place, rebelled to win back their freedoms. And they kind of they rebelled pretty much. Uh, constantly over the course of Hardhand's reign. Hmm. His son, Harwin, Heron's father, King Halichor. Ex- these are absurd These names. are r- ridiculous names. Extended Ironborn rule eastward, seizing Duskendale and Rosby, names you may have heard uh, in connection with Robert's Rebellion. His reign, though, was not ex- as successful as marked by reversal. Of- he lost a lot of border wars against the Westerlands, the Stormlands and most disastrously against the Ahrens of the Vale, who turned him back no less than three times at the foot of the Eyrie. Both kings, though, father and son, spent the majority of their reign suppressing the Riverlord rebellions and living in the field. When he wasn't in his tent, however, King Halleck governed the Riverlands from just like a basic little tower house, a little duplex, and such a humble structure would not serve for his son, Heron the Black. When he came into power... Pretty much the first thing Heron did was embark on the project that would come to dominate his life, the construction of Heron Hall. It would take 40 years to complete and an unknown number of slave lives. They toiled under brutal conditions year after year just to build this castle, this, this monument to his own self-regard. And even though the labor was free... Stone's got to come from somewhere, guys. That's right. Costs were absolutely massive. Hall's construction effectively bankrupted the Iron Islands and the Riverlands, both. But when you looked at it pre-burning, you understood where the money went. The castle boasted gigantic, a gigantic black stone curtain wall that, that by some descriptions, uh, people said was high as a cliff wall. Five enormous towers. These are now melted by dragon fire. A main gatehouse that's as as large as the keep of Winterfell. Winterfell's main keep is not as big as the gatehouse <laughs> of Aaron Hall. The main feasting hall contains 35 hearths, although they call it the hall of a hundred hearths, it's only 35. Still, it's said to be large enough to feast an entire army. It has an inexhaustible source of fresh water that they can get from, uh, from underneath the castle. A 20-acre Godswood inside the castle. There is a Godswood, there's a forest of 20 acres inside. <laughs> Winterfell's God's Wood is three acres 20 acres, guys There's a stream running through it The rafters and the ceiling beams Of of Heron are made of, of Weirwoods I mean, listen, this is House Hunter's dream
1: Guys, they, they'll say location, location, <laughs> like, location yeah. It's really about the finishes It's amazing It's all about the finishes amazing. You gotta get that Italian marble And you gotta get those
0: Weirwood you beams You gotta get the thousand year old Weirwoods <laughs> in there And King Heron Fairly thought his castle to be impregnable under normal conditions, probably was.
1: I'll impregnate. On the, the bitch. very day
0: that the last stone or the last Weirwood log was laid, uh, Aegon the Targaryen, the Conqueror, began his invasion of Westeros. And as the invasion picked up momentum, the River Lords, who had suffered for centuries under the rule of the Storm Kings and now the Ironborn, they saw their opportunity to free themselves. They declared for Aegon. Now, Harren all of a sudden is looking around, and he's faced with a not only a rebellion, but an invasion. So he figures, well, I just built this castle. Right. I'm going to go inside and with my inexhaustible source of water and my vast, vast stores of food, yeah. and I'm just going to hang out here Kick for like 10, 12 years, whatever it takes. Yeah,
1: man, you got room. You got
0: room to chill. Aegon marched up, offered him terms. Kneel, and I will name you Lord of the Iron Islands not a great... Now, let's think about this for a second. You just spend 40 years building a castle in the Riverlands, and the best offer you get is, okay, you're going to have to give up the castle, you're going to give up the Riverlands, and you're going to have to go back to the Iron Islands, which you have basically not lived in your entire life. Heron refuses. My walls are strong and thick, he says. Aegon reminds him that dragons can fly. They got wings, buddy. (laughs) Look at those. I built in stone, Heron said, and stone does not burn. This is true. It does, however, melt. Uh, Balerion, Aegon's great dragon, bathed Harrenhal in flames and everything that could burn, you know, that weirwood, those weirwood finishes, sacks of oats and stuff, those burned up. The stone, however, just sagged as, as, a, as a candle would under great heat, melting against the dragon fire, molten stone flowing down the sides. King Harren and his sons and a great number of his men died in the flames and the line of whores, King Hors, oh. Ironborn Kings, was over. Ironborn dominion of the riverlands decisively broken. And since then, a string of lords have, have become Lord of Heron Hall, and they have by and large met with not great ends. Gorgon Hors was the lord first lord of of Hall, raised by King Aegon, died at the hands of the outlaw Heron the Red. House Haraway was wiped out by Maegor Targaryen after his wife, Alice Haraway, gave birth to a deformed baby. Uh, <laughs> lots of bad stuff happened. I mean, you can go down to Jano to, uh, Slint, who was raised up as Lord of Harrenhal due to his service to uh, the B- House Baratheon, slash Lannister, as we all know. And what happened to him before you could even set foot in his castle, uh, Tyrion sends him to the Wall. So not a great piece of property, guys.
1: All right. That was super disturbing, but also super informative. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Now, Tyrion would want Joffrey to get his money's worth, and we want everyone to as well. So let's head to the Sept. Let's bathe in the light of the Seven, share seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode, lightning round style. You go first. Number one.
0: Roose and Rob, some foreshadowing being between the uh, Starks and the Boltons, when Ruth says to Rob about the secrets and that a flayed man has none. Number
1: two Danny, great great little moment here. She's trying to act tough. Trying to look yeah. like she's she's h- hip and with it in control, but then she mispronounces Karth. Dan- this Quarth. is my this is my plea here. Let's do a little character swap, a little Sunday night HBO character right. swap. Get Gary from Veep <laughs> over there to help a sister out. Like, Jorah looks great and everything, but he's not really providing this crucial ear whisper that that's Gary right. would be giving Selena in a moment like that.
0: It's like when you come to New York for the first time and you say, I'm going down to Houston Street. Yeah, that's no good.
1: You can't have that.
0: Can't have it. It's Karth. Uh Tyrion, with some great lines when he comes into the throne room and stops the beating of Sansa. Uh, he says, what kind of knight beats a defenseless girl, Sir Marin, the kind that serves his king? <laughs> Bronn says, careful now. Don't want to get blood all over your pretty white cloak. And the look <laughs> Sir Marin gives him is, is fantastic.
1: Uh, number four. When Littlefinger, he's he's taken lots of blokes in this episode <laughs> from from Marge, from Kat, yeah. even from Renly. But he does get in one real zinger when he says to Marjorie, the marriage of a wealthy girl always breeds interest, if nothing else. It's a <laughs> savage cut. Oh, the shade of this man. Boy. Uh, let's talk about Renly. Renly
0: can can give it back, too. When when Melisandre says, he's the Lord's chosen, born amidst salt and smoke, of his brother Stannis, Renly says, born amidst salt and smoke. Is he a ham? <laughs>
1: <laughs> sounds delicious. And by the way,
0: uh, kudos to his men and the and the guys there uh, standing witness to that for not bursting out laughing because that's a great line.
1: Really, really great. Also, now I'm hungry. Yeah, sounds delicious. Renly has a lot of good food moments in this episode. He's <laughs> eating some fruit in a very kingly manner. Yeah. Uh, okay. Number six. There's only one God, Sir Davos, and he only protects those who serve him. This is Mel. Yeah. Right. And just just worth noting how amazing it is, how many different times, just to this point, midway through season two in a now six season show, that we've heard a character say, there's only one God or some version yep. of it, and then say something different than the person before or after has said, right? We've heard this from Mel. We got death as the, the one God from Arya and from Sirio. And then of course, most famously, the thing between a woman's legs from sex pirate Salador San, Andy Greenwald's favorite character. <laughs> Let's keep tracking this. Let's make note of how many times somebody says there's only one God and then says something different. Seven.
0: Stannis, the grammarian, making his appearance early when he's talking with Davos about um, cutting off Davos' fingers for the crime of smuggling, even though Davos uh, did him a solid by smuggling in onions to save his life during Robert's Rebellion. Uh, He says, you know, I've got four less fingernails to clean, and Stannis chastises him fewer. For fewer fingernails to clean. Come on, Stan. Man,
1: the, can you let this go? No one likes this guy? Yeah. Really? <laughs> Jesus. All right. Stannis likes pretty grammar and Joffrey likes pretty faces, but neither of them are well-liked by our episode four champion. Guys, each episode, we're going to honor the person who played the game, advance his or her cause in the most tangible or interesting way. This week, the winner... A repeat winner, guys. We had to do it. It's Tyrion yet again. He is—he's owning it. Season two is—is is Tyrion's playground, and he's having a blast.
0: Joffrey uh, tells Tyrion after Tyrion stops him from beating Sansa, stops what's going on. Joffrey says, "The king can do as he likes." Tyrion, the Mad King, did what he liked. Has your uncle Jamie ever told you what happened to him? And then, uh, by the way, uh, Sir Marin with the great—you uh, can't threaten the king. No, that wasn't a threat, Braun, If Sir Merin says says anything else, kill him.
1: Do you see the difference? So that's good, fantastic. So good. Tyrion's the best man. He also he's 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 kind of playing with Trant there, and he's also playing with Lancel in that oh, entire scene in just fantastic. spectacular fashion. You know, he says, "Cersei must have great trust in you, <laughs> allowing you into her chambers in the hour of the wolf." Tell me, did Cersei have united before or after she took you into her bed? What? Nothing to say? No warnings for me? You withdraw these filthy accusations! (laughs) This is a great... It's not my fault!
0: Did she take you against your will?
1: The best though is probably when Lancel. He, what, what can he do? How can he? How can he pivot? How can he adjust? How yeah. can he kind of try to hang with with Tyrion? And he's, he blames Tywin, right? right. Tywin <laughs> told me do whatever she asks, and then Tyrion says, "Did he tell you to fuck her too?" Yeah, I only meant I did as I was
0: bid. Owen oh, and hated every moment of it. I'm sure.
1: <laughs> it's great stuff. And then yeah. you know, of course, the decisive blow to Lancel when he's, he's begging mercy, he's begging <laughs> mercy, mercy, my
0: lord. Your sister's bidding the queen.
1: I'll leave the city at once. I swear. And then he says, no, I think not. You heard <laughs> yeah. me. My father told you to obey my sister. Obey her. Stay close to her side. Keep yeah. her trust. Pleasure her whenever she requires. <laughs> what a thoughtful brother. Yeah. What a thoughtful brother. No one ever need know as long as you keep faith with me. I want to know what Cersei's doing, where she goes, what she sees, what they talk of, everything. And you will tell me. And then just like that, he yeah. has Lancelot putty in his hands. How quickly he crumbled.
0: The final dagger when he says... And he's trying to calm him down. And he says, oh, and have a glass of wine with me. And then he goes, oh,
1: there's only one cup. <laughs> I guess you got to go. So good. Yeah. So good. I don't think Lancelot can really hold his drink anyway, no, to be fair. not, not
0: great at it. All
1: right, guys. Every time this podcast shuts its gates, the garden of bones grows. But we hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you'll join us next time when we will be discussing season two, episode five, The Ghost of Hall." Until then, remember.
0: Look to your sins, Lord Renly. The night is dark and full of terrors. Hada, my lord, uh, your grace too much pain can spoil the pleasure.